Thank you. The top of this table makes me dizzy. Just saying. Wow. No, it's fine. <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I bring you greetings from Trinity Reformed up in Bloomington. And uh, I have watched this, um, this church kind of come alive and come to be from a distance. And it's really great to be here for the first time in person. And of course, I know a lot of you from a past life. Um, the Sabies, can you wave? This is, these are the Sabies. Um, Aaron is an elder at uh, Sovereign King Church over in Jeffersonville. And he's on the church planning committee of Evangel Presbytery. And the committee told him to call Jake and see th how things were going. And he said, no, <laughs> I'm going to go and see how things are going. So here he is. So make sure you meet the Savies, okay? It's a surprise, surprise to see him here. Well, as I said, I've prayed for you. I'll keep praying for you. I've seen God gather this church uh, from people from all kinds of different backgrounds and different places, as I've heard some of your stories and seen this, this weird mix that God, this is what God does all the time, right? He brings people together and Jesus Christ is building his church. Uh, here's the thing about churches. Churches are messy. Churches are messy. Churches are not social clubs. Social clubs are not messy because you can take it or leave it and you're gone, right? But churches are messy because churches are, a church is a family. Families are messy. Yes? Yes. yes. So this church is a family. As, as families go, this family is very young. Two years, is that right? Give or take. And so two years. So, okay, lift your hands. Have, have you been married for less than two years? Ah, uh huh. <laughs> it's been easy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're getting in. You're 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 leaving the honeymoon period as a church, and now you get to know each other for real, and now you get to see one another's sins, failures, weaknesses. You start to have, you have enough time now to start building up uh, grudges <laughs> and schisms. You know what schisms are? Like bro breaking, you know, breaking into pieces. Even here, even now. All of that stuff, you're right on the edge of it. Okay. And so, what you need uh, is this passage of Scripture. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. He says, this is the Apostle Paul, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all 
and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, that's what we do. (laughs) So what's going on in this passage? So verse one, he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Um, That word implore, when's the last time any of you used that word? (laughs) It's not not the kind of word we use in normal everyday speech, is it? ESV says urge, so maybe you've used the word urge lately. But these are words that are, um, they're very intense, okay? I am, if, you, if you're imploring someone to do something or urging them to do something, this is not a casual request. The stakes are high and the stakes are incredibly high with this. So he says, I urge you, I implore you to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what does it mean to walk? What is he talking about when he says walk? This is a... a a picture that the Apostle Paul uses all over the place about living the Christian life, all right? And it's a good picture because living the Christian life is boring and normal and mundane. One foot in front of the other, right? Plotting. That's why he uses the word walk. It's just normal, it's boring, and it's mundane. And it's every day and it's constant, all right? And he uses this image all over the place, but in Ephesians, he uses it like, Five more times, okay? Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we are to walk in good works, right? Prepared beforehand by God the Father, given to us in God the Son. Ephesians 4.17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds. So stop living like a pagan. We all used to be pagans. I mean, most of us. You know what I'm saying? And, and we know what it's like to live like that. And he says, stop it. Which means that we have to be told to stop it. Stop walking like that. Start walking like this, okay? He says in Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love. Walk in love. Go about your life in love, right? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. So that's the pattern for your walk. It's the the love of Christ. Walk like that. Live your life like that. Ephesians 5.8, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were darkness, now you're light. Now live like it, right? Ephesians 5.15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So over and over again, he uses that word, walk. Live the details of your life, the mundane, boring, not, we're not talking about big, magnificent feats of faith. We're talking about putting one foot in front of the other and living your life, right? So he says this in verse one, chapter four, I implore you to walk How? In a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So what is your calling? What does that mean? What is the calling with which you've been called? Your calling is your your calling as a Christian. 
It's everything that the Apostle Paul has said up to this point in the book of Ephesians. That's why he starts chapter 4, verse 1 with the word, therefore. Therefore, I implore you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What are you talking about? He's talking about everything he's talked about, like uh, you've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You've been predestined to be sons. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been redeemed and ransomed by the blood of Christ. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You were dead. You've been made alive. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly places for crying out loud. Okay, this is a incredibly high calling, right? And he says, walk in a manner worthy of that, of this calling. What it means to be a Christian is, all, is wrapped up in that word. In 1 Corinthians, he says, you are saints by calling. In Jude, he says, you are the called. That's like the name for a Christian. You are the called. You've been called by God. He has saved us, he said, Paul says to Timothy, and called us with a holy calling. So a calling, this is a big deal. All right, you should feel the weight of this. This is no light thing. You've been called with a holy calling. From before the foundation of the world, he has put his mark on you. Okay, so walk, live out the details of your life, according to your calling, but he says this, do it in a manner worthy of your calling. You see that? What does that mean? So the word worthy means um, like appropriate too, right? You, you live up to this. This is, um, the word is uh, the scales that we used to have before we had the digital scales, <laughs> right? Where you, you say, you walk into the deli, you say, I want a pound of meat. And so they take a, a weight, like a piece of lead or whatever it was, and they stick it on the thing, right? Weighs a pound, then you start loading up this side with meat until what? Until this side is worthy of this side. That's the word. They measure, they, they measure up to each other. So think of what he's saying. Walk in a manner, live the, live the details of your life, in a manner that measures up to the calling with which you've been called. That's intense. This is why he says, I urge you, I implore you to do this. This is incredibly important. He says in Philippians, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Think about all the ways, all the pettiness, all of the, the bickering, all the things that we make a big deal out of in our relationships with one another that totally deny the, the nature of the gospel. As he says, remember in, in Ephesians 5, walk in love just as Christ loved us. Right? How often do we completely violate that? By living in a way that's unworthy of the gospel. It doesn't measure up at all. Um, he says in, in Colossians, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is all over the place. And so, I beg you, I implore you, live your life in a way that matches this incredibly high calling that you've been given. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. It affects everything. So, okay, all right, Paul. Um, 
What does that look like? Well, the thing is, we live in a day when um, what we have been taught is that to be called by the grace of God, to experience the grace of God, to have, to have God forgive our sins, right, uh, actually excuses us from practical holiness. <laughs> right? You, you know what I'm saying? We, uh, we, we live by grace, and so we're not, under gra- we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And so if you're under grace, you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. What's the point? You're forgiven of your sins. You're not, you don't go to heaven because you've done good things. So why bother? This is, the world, this is the world we live in. This is the ocean we swim in. This is the air we breathe. This passage says, as all of Scripture says, to be called by God's grace does not excuse us from practical holiness. It empowers us for practical holiness because God's grace is power for you. It's power. It's not excuse. He didn't save you to leave you in your sins. He's called you with a holy calling and has given you the power you need to walk in a manner worthy of it. All right, so what does that look like? Verse 2. With all humility. With all humility. Not some humility. (laughs) Not with a... A good bit with all humility. This is humility, the root of all of this that he's going to talk about. The root of being able to walk in a manner worthy of your calling is humility. Pride is the chief sin. Humility is the chief virtue. It has to start there. And this is the only attitude, the only demeanor, the only mindset that's worthy of our calling. Because remember what you were. So Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, right? But according to his own purpose and grace, which he has granted us, granted us, given to us freely in Christ Jesus. You bring nothing to this. Do you remember what he says about us in Titus? Look at Titus, if you have your Bible, look at Titus 3. Look at this. Titus 3, 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves. This is a great passage. I'm not going to preach a sermon on this. (laughs) That'd be another sermon. But... He's telling us how to relate to our neighbors who are unbelievers. He says, be kind to them, be patient with them, show them every consideration. (laughs) Okay, why? Because we once were foolish ourselves, just like them, right? Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life and malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Do you remember those days? Well, that's what we were. That's what we were. You remember what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1? He says this, verse 26. 
For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things, right? And the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. He says, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. You see how humility is the only thing, the only thing that matches this, your calling. You were not called because of your greatness. You were called because of your baseness. That's what the Holy Spirit says. That's what God is doing. (laughs) All right? And so to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, what does that look like? Humility. All humility. With all humility. What, What are we proud of? What are you proud of? Are you strong? Physically, one of us is. He's over there. (laughs) Where'd that come from? Are you um, discerning? Are you wise? Are you godly? Are you self-controlled? Are you rich? Do you come from a good family? Okay. Where did that come from? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? Everything that we tend to be proud about is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Everything that makes us feel superior to anybody else, either outside the church or inside the church or in your family or whatever, what is it? What is it? It's a gift. It's a gift from God. What do you have? What do you have? What can you say? I have this. I didn't receive this as a gift. (laughs) Really. What do you have but you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He, He hammers on this all the time. Humility, humility, humility. There's a saying, he who knows himself best will esteem himself least. The better you know yourself, right? You cannot know yourself and stay proud. You can't know Jesus Christ and stay proud. And God says this all over the place. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is entirely wrapped up with what it means to be a Christian. So humble yourselves. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received with all humility. But not only humility, what else? With all humility and gentleness. Humility is the mother of gentleness. You cannot be gentle unless you're humble. But if you're humble, you'll be gentle. Just like he said in Titus, be kind to people. Because you know what it's like to be them, and you're not better than them. Everything you have is a gift from God, right? You have no right to look down on anybody. 
and to think yourself superior to them. What is that? What is that? That's gentleness. Humility breeds gentleness. Meekness, mildness, able to absorb a blow without either breaking or responding in kind, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, gentleness. With all humility and gentleness, and what else? With patience. Gentleness is the mother of patience. The mother of of gentleness is humility. What is patience? Um, there's There's actually different words in the Bible that are translated patience. And sometimes it's talking about bearing up under like Um, the line at the BMV. That kind of patience. It's like circumstantial. You know what I'm saying? We all know the need for that kind of patience. And Scripture calls us to that, but this word is a word that's more about relationship. So it's patience with one another. It assumes relationship. Like I said, this is a family, right? Right? You need to be patient with each other. You need to, to, well, look at what he says next. Showing tolerance for one another in love. You need to show tolerance for one another. It's a, <laughs> this is a funny, oh. So this is, this is just simply putting up with each other. Bearing with one another. But that sounds nice. It's just simply putting up with each other. Now, what does that assume? Yeah, yeah, you need to be put up with, and they need to be put up with. We all need to be put up with. That's, that's where he gets. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Okay, that sounds noble and high and like, wow, I'm going to go be a martyr somewhere. No, just be humble. And be gentle. And be patient. And for crying out loud, just put up with each other. You just put up with each other. Now, showing tolerance, as this translation says, showing tolerance for one another in love, this is not flattery, right? Um, This is not ignoring things and just kind of brushing them, you know, uh, I'm just going to let that go and hope we don't have to talk about that. It is true that love covers a multitude of sins, but this is not just like flattery, okay? Okay. Because we are to speak the truth in love. And so, even when we correct one another, which there are times when we have to correct one another, even when we correct one another, we need to do it with this tolerance, with this putting up with, with this bearing, with this patience, with this gentleness, with this humility. Right? If you don't... I think of the people in this room that I actually know well. There's my wife, who lives with me all the time. There's Jake, who lived with me for a while. There's Beth. I've known Beth for 18 years. Nathan. There he is. Meredith. Don't you as, haven't had a chance to sin against you as much as I've had to sin against the rest of these people. <laughs> you know, we can get to that. Uh, if I don't, if I don't bear with them, what am I? I'm a monster. 
Because, man, do they need to bear with me. And your wife needs to bear with you. And you need to bear with her. This is all just so perfectly obvious and normal, isn't it? Okay. Here's a quote from Calvin. No sermon is complete without a quote from Calvin. So he says this. Our zeal... He's talking about correcting people, right? And we do need to correct one another and, and you know, deal with things, not just let them pretend they're not there. That's bad. He says our zeal ought to be mixed with kind-heartedness, right? For if it is sauced, if it is sauced altogether with vinegar, what will come of it? There will be no savor to it. Therefore, it must have some oil joined with it, <laughs> right? So not, not all vinegar. Put some oil in there with it, right? Put some oil in there with it. When you are correcting people, one another, and you say, look, we have to talk about this, put some oil in there. This is how we treat our salad, right? Surely we can treat each other this way. We've received the grace of God. Now, Jesus Christ, of course, is the example of all these things. Humility, gentleness, perfect patience. Does he put up with you? Does he bear with you? He's the example of all of these things. Now look at verse 3. And it all comes down to this. Wrong book. He says, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice what it says. We are to preserve something, not create something. This is a, there's a unity that, is, that we don't make that is, that is the product of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. This is why you can be here together today from all kinds of crazy backgrounds, right? All kinds of church backgrounds, all kinds of economic backgrounds, all kinds of family history backgrounds, and you can come together and have unity and fellowship and love for one another because it's produced by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So there is a unity produced by the Holy Spirit. You're not, you can't create it, and he doesn't tell us to create it. He tells us to preserve it, to keep it, to protect it, to guard it. I was thinking, when you think about preserves, what is it that we preserve? Strawberries? Cheese? <laughs> think of that. You take something precious and good and you, and you put it in a canning jar and you lock it down and you seal it up. You preserve it. It's to be protected. Right? Preserve the unity of the Spirit. How? In the jar of peace. <laughs> In the bond of peace. The only way to keep this unity from being destroyed that the Holy Spirit produces is to keep the peace. To do everything he's talking about. Humility, gentleness, patience, putting up with each other. Keep it, protect it, keep it wrapped up by peace. God has made peace with us. To fight with one another is to fight against God. To fight against your brothers and sisters is to fight against God. It's to call yourself better than God. 
God has made peace with them. Why can't you make peace with them? Have they offended you more than you've offended God? Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Be diligent. Be diligent. That means you have to work hard. That means this is not automatic. That means it takes great effort. The moment you you let off, all kinds of bad things rush in. Right? The moment you, you let down your guard, schism, lack of unity, pride, rushes in. It doesn't take anything. All it takes is doing nothing. Be diligent. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, why is this so important? So being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is actually a matter of life and death. All right? Two places tell us how serious this is. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Listen to this. Reject. Isn't that a nice word? So nice. Reject what? No, reject who? Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. A factious man is a man who wants to, to, to um, break up the church into sides. Right? I am of Jake. I am of Ben. I am of Nathan. I am of, pick your, whoever. Or whatever it is. There's a million ways that we can be factious. And the Apostle Paul says here to Titus the pastor, reject a factious man. After a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. You don't need the evidence. He is the evidence. He's self-condemned. He brings faction into the church. Brother, you can't do that. Brother, you can't do that. Reject. That's how serious this is. Here's another one that tells us how serious it is. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. All right, get a load of this. He says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, in this, there's two places in 1 Corinthians where he calls us the temple of God. One of them, he's talking about our body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. You're not your own. Therefore, don't eat bacon. No, no, wait, sorry, that's not what he says. What he says is, do not join your body to a prostitute. That's what he says. Your body is not your own. In this passage, he's talking about the church as the body. Now, look what he says. Do you not know that you all are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Okay? You go around destroying this church, what will happen to you? 
God will destroy you. I have seen this so many times as a pastor. I've seen this so many times. We've seen this. The man who destroys the church is himself destroyed. Not by us, not because we're, you know, but because God, it says, will destroy him. God loves his church. The temple of God is holy. This is what you are. You go around trying to break the church, God will break you. Don't do that. So, very important. (laughs) Be diligent. I urge you. I implore you, okay? Be diligent. Now, all of this has two underlying assumptions, okay? All of these commands, all of, these, all of this stuff we've seen so far, we're almost done, but all of it has two assumptions that are incredibly important. Assumption number one, you can't do this stuff unless you're part of a body. They're, they're, it's all corporate. Humility, gentleness, patience, putting up with one another. You can't do that by yourself. It just doesn't make any sense. The second, most obvious uh, uh, implication of this, all of these commands assume what? You will be with one another and what else? You'll be sinned against by one another. Why do you need to be humble, gentle, patient? Why do you need to forgive one another? Why do you need to put up with each other if There's nobody sinning against each other. This doesn't make sense apart from that. I've talked to people in my church who come in, and they come, let's say they come in from another church, and they're like, you know, they, oh, this is great. This is great. Man, this is like no other church I've ever been in. It's great. It's so great. It's so wonderful. It's so great. And then someone sins against them. And they're like, well, I thought. I thought at least here would be a place where I could come and not be sinned against. I'm like, dude, have you read the Bible? You know, have you ever begun to read the Bible? This assumes that the whole New Testament is nonsense apart from that assumption that you'll be sinned against in the church. Whoa. Oh, wow. All right. That was emphasizing my point. All right. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Now, real quickly, why? We've seen the what, the how, and the what's the why. Verse 4. Why do we do this? Well, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. These are massive spiritual truths. This is like way deep down bedrock stuff, cosmic stuff. Why are you to do this? Because there's one God. (laughs) That's a pretty big reason. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father who is over all, and through all, and in all. That's all the weight he's bringing to bear on your head to do this. Okay? Massive weight. The basis of this unity, this peace, is not seeing eye to eye about every little thing. Politics, economic status, 
doctrinal things, practice things, that that is not the basis of this unity. It is just big and deep and heavy. Okay, here's my exhortation to you. Give yourself to practical, mundane, messy holiness, relational holiness in the context of the church. That's it. It's the only thing that's going to keep this church together. You will be sinned against. Jake will sin against you. Ben will sin against you. Dare I even say it, Megan will sin against you. I know. (laughs) Cynthia will sin against you. Yeah. All right. Come on. We're sinners. If If you're not a sinner, you're in the wrong place. You will be sinned against. You will sin against one another. You have to give yourself to this in the context of relationships that get hard. Right? Do not keep yourself aloof from the church. Do not insulate yourself from the pain and the intimacy and the vulnerability of the church. The church is your home. The church is your family. This church is your family. The church is where God is glorified before men and angels. You know how he's so incredibly glorified? is when you're humble, when you're sinned against and you don't respond in kind, when you sin and you repent. This is just mind-boggling. That's not natural, don't you see? God gets great glory when there's mess, when there's honesty, when there's relationship. You don't want some phony plastic nonsense. So I implore you, walk in a manner worthy of this calling. It's hard work. It's what Jesus died for. It's what he died for, to give you the power to do this. So let's do it. Let's pray. Dear Father, would you, would you please have mercy on this church? I pray for all the people here that you would bind them together in the bond of love and unity and peace, that you would warn anyone who is even thinking of schism, would you please give the gift of humility and gentleness and patience, that they would preserve diligently the bond, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bring people here to hear your word, to be loved, to be strengthened. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified in all of this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.